You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Welcome back to Water Flying. I'm Abby Kellett, a flight instructor in seaplanes and assistant to Steve McCauley, executive director at the Seaplane Pilots Association. Yes, and before we start this next episode, we would once again like to thank our sponsors. That is all of you, the members of the Seaplane Pilots Association. You've shown real dedication to helping us achieve our mission of protecting and promoting water flying. If you're not already a member, we'd like to invite you to join by calling 863-701-7979, or you can visit us at seaplanes.org, that's S-E-A-P-L-A-N-E-S.org, and join online, and we look forward to welcoming you to our community. This podcast is just one of the ways we want to communicate with our members and the public, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us here at the office at spa at seaplanes.org. So today we're joined by my good friend, Mr. Ed Page, who is a renowned aviation lawyer and flight instructor, a proud owner of a lake amphibian as well. And I personally have exercised more than one occasion where I've asked him for legal advice on FAA issues and seaplane issues. So Ed, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Glad to be here and look forward to it. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Really appreciate it, Ed. So jumping into our topic today, NASA reports. You hear about them kind of offhandedly, but today we really want to delve into this surprisingly useful tool that's provided to us as pilots. So Ed, can you give us an idea of what exactly NASA ASRS forms are and what they do for us? Well, NASA stands for NASA that we've been all familiar with for many years. Uh, <laughs> it is the, the Space Administration, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, moon, the moon landing. And the ASRS stands for the Aviation Safety Reporting System. And like most things in aviation, good, this came out of something bad. And the bad was that in October of 1974, there was uh, a near crash by United Airlines coming into Dulles. And they misinterpreted, that crew uh, misinterpreted a go-lower direction from ATC. And they nearly crashed into a uh, Mount Weather, which is west of Dulles. Mm -hmm. And they survived, did not crash, everybody was fine. However, two months later, December of 1974, TWA 514 was at the same location and misinterpreted the go-lower instruction from ATC. They did not survive. There was a crash. And so Congress and the FAA started thinking about this and decided we needed to fix this problem. Mm -hmm. And they fixed it with the creation of the Aviation Safety and Reporting System that went into effect in May of 1975. And in a nutshell, the Aviation Safety Reporting System said, look, if you tell us uh, about your problem, 
whether it's an incident, occurrence, a pilot deviation, or the like, and you do so in a timely manner, we'll talk about what timely manner means. (laughs) Yes, we will. We're going to give you a get-out-of-jail-free card if the incident that you report is not a criminal incident, it's not intentional, and it doesn't involve or implicate your competency and qualifications as a pilot. So there are three linchpins for a NASA report, and we just discussed those, but we'll talk more about them through this. So why was this system so important? Well, Congress and the FAA said, look, had United Airlines reported this problem of getting the altitude lower in the right airspace to others, then TWA and that crew might have benefited from the information. A learning experience. A learning experience, exactly, Abby, where TWA might have seen this in pilot reports or a crew briefing or a system-wide saying, hey, if you're going into Dulles, okay, and you're coming from the west – well, look out from this particular segment of airspace in the national airspace system and don't misinterpret the go lower because it's kind of interesting out there. And why are so many people, United and TWA, mis- misunderstanding this? So Congress said, look, we want these reports so that we can share them. And thereafter, in the next a year or so after the this incident, this unfortunate TWA crash, 514, which resonates for me. My dad was a pilot at the time, a yeah. 747 captain for TWA. They said, share this information so you can learn. And that's what the NASA system is really about. But to say share information, I have to have like a inoculation shot. Sure. Yeah. And make it an offer some enticement, which is you're not going to get prosecuted. The information, in effect, is not going to be used against you unless you're in limited circumstances circumstances that we'll talk about. So this is really important. So I think this is one of the least talked about things that pilots need to know about whether they're doing their primary training or what I just don't hear being talked about. And I'm so excited to have you here to discuss this today because I just don't think that enough people even know about NASA reports, their existence or how they work. And this is, you know, not only important to keep you out of trouble, but it's also important to learn what you need to know to keep other people out of trouble. By, by just what you're, um, you know, the examples you've given. So these are very, very powerful. They're very good tools. And I'm just so happy to have you here to talk about this today because this is unfortunately not talked about enough. I know that when I was flying up in New York doing the caravans, I there was mention of the NASA reports, but it was almost in this abstract, almost like, to be feared way like oh we have to fill out or we might have to fill out a nasa report they have to fill out out a nasa report and it's just it comes across as admitting fault and there being consequences so why do you think there's such a misconception about what this tool provides 
Because in every other walk of life, when we tell people about bad facts involving ourselves, what happens? Consequences. We have consequences. We're held accountable. We're punished. We're sanctioned. Even when we're driving and I violate the speed limit and I get caught and I get a ticket, you know what happens? I pay a fine. Here, you don't pay a fine. The information, it's counterintuitive to share it because it's shared with others so that others learn and go, okay, I'm not going to misread a clearance. I'm not going to violate that TFR. I'm not going to do something else. And more importantly, the FAA uh, takes this in, these, informa- these reports, you see, and the information in them and sanitizes them from the person who actually made them. And, in fact, destroys the information. Wow. Even destroys wow. the report if you make it online. It's deleted. It's gone. Wow. And they take this information and they use this to set training objectives about what are the most frequent causes of incidents or pilot deviations. It's how they're keeping themselves up to date and they're learning from the community to just continually keep us safe. So the FAA, I think it can be painted as a boogeyman and, you know, the the ones that are looking to violate you, they're just standing there ready to find something to take away your license for. So... I think we need to start re reshaping how we view the FAA, especially when we're looking at NASA reports. I totally agree, especially in light of what happened in the fall of 2015 mm-hmm. when the administrator, Administrator Huerta of the FAA, adopted the FAA's Compliance Action Program, which is if you fix your pilot deviation problem, the root cause, you don't get sanctioned. Mm-hmm. You might have to... In undergo or agree to what's called a remedial training agreement, okay? And that's just a course, a, a set of courses and requirements to fix the root problem that led to the deviation. But I don't take your license. Yeah. I don't sanction you. And you don't have a record. And so, you know what? It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. So I think we've really touched on one of the main questions that we wanted to cover on this subject, which was, what is the purpose of the NASA report? The NASA report is a vehicle for number one, you to report a no harm, no foul situation where you made a mistake, it was done innocently or without proper knowledge, and you're just informing NASA that you did this in a way that protects you from violation, potentially, as long as you haven't had any bad action out of it. And then also, it's really, what is the purpose of the NASA report? It's to educate other pilots and the FAA how to help us be safer in our operations and to not have these mistakes made by other pilots. Yes. Yeah, that's a good summary. And you know what? Uh, Currently, NASA gets 9,000 reports a month. Wow. Wow. See, we're all pilots here. We tend to think, oh, this is all pilot-driven. But the NASA aviation safety reporting system is not only for pilots. It's for mechanics. Controllers. Flight instructors. Controllers crew members, ground control, ATC, everybody can get in on this and make a report, inoculate themselves if they have any issue. But I can just simply report that, hey, uh, well, there's a problem with in this cabin or this crew or this function or this operation and the like. And the information is shared. It's cleansed, as I said, cleansed and then shared with where, where others look at it and go, hey, should we make changes to eliminate that from happening in the future? 
So when do you submit a NASA report? That's uh, what I want to get to. And uh, first, I want to say that the what I call the Constitution for NASA reports, the law, is in Advisory Circular 00-46E. And the first one was 0046A as an apple issued back on May 9, 1975. And it has evolved. And currently, we've been using 46E since December of 2011. And so it's important to go to the law because the law is very specific and set forth there. And what that says on this precise issue, when, and uh, tells you as follows. You have 10 days from the date of the incident, not including the the day of the incident, which because the incident may occur at 11.59 p.m., so we're not going to count the first day. You so the clock starts ticking. The day after. Mm-hmm. And you have 10 days from that incident, that pilot deviation, that situation, that occurrence, that problem, okay, to make a NASA report either in person or online. And there are a couple of exceptions. If, for example, you had a airspace violation, let's say a TFR, temporary flight restriction violation, and you really didn't know about that until mm-hmm. you got a letter from the FAA. They're going to be looking for you right away. They might be looking for you right away, but you might get a letter saying, hey, look, uh, we, we saw your N number and it penetrated and we were, you know, the airspace and we were really busy. So here's, here's, your, here's your 10-day letter. And in that situation, you have still uh, 10 days from when the person became aware of or should have been aware, aware of the violation. So there's, that's, mm-hmm. a rec- that's a fairly recent addition to the timing rule. The timing rule used to be a hard and fast 10 days, and a lot of people lost out. If it was 11, yeah. Because by the time they generate the letter, it gets to you in snail mail, you've already expired your 10 days. Well, but sometimes, hey, look, I may run off the end of the runway, okay? I'm on notice. I got a, a potential pilot deviation, don't I? Mm-hmm. I got t- my 10 days starts from right then. Right. Okay? This is in the limited search, uh, situation where I may not have known or should have known the, of the, a problem that I created uh, because of a rule or regulation or airspace or the the variety are just infinitesimal, un, un, innumerable that I have seen over the years in, in my 20, 21 years now of aviation law. And I think that that airspace violation is probably very much a topic right now because of ADSB. As we adopt ADSB, there's no question who it is. Uh, you I'm can't just, hide from it. I'm just amazed and, and literally scared about the amount of public information. Every time you do a flight, anyone can go online and look up your end number, and they know exactly your entire p- flight profile, and it's documented and logged. So I think that the NASA report becomes even more important for our airspace violations because they might have had to try to figure out who it was in the past. If you have ADSB today and you do an airspace violation, there is absolutely no question. They know exactly which airplane it was. Absolutely. And they'll try to find out and send you a letter or the uh, name of the corporation or limited Whoever liability company that the name uh, that's the plane is named in, you know. So, but most of these occur like an airspace violation, Steve, occurs through what are what's called a brasher warning. 
A brasher warning is when the ATC says uh, as follows, pursuant to uh, their constitutional document called Air Traffic Control Organization you know, notification, and they have these manuals. And their rule says when it appears that the actions of a pilot constitute a pilot deviation, notify the pilot workload permitting. And here's the magic language. November 123, Romeo Juliet, possible pilot deviation. Advise you contact, and they will name the facility and a phone number. So the pilot's writing that down. It's not, you know, a, a good thing to hear. It's not a no. pleasant <laughs> thing to hear, and it's obviously in police work they call this a clue. Something interesting or bad has happened. Mm-hmm. And that's when this whole thing for pilot deviations, a kind of a subset of NASA reports, starts because they call, and now you're on notice. The 10 days started, it started ticking. Started ticking, and I better make my report online or by paper. So if you get that call from ATC, you just got a hard cue that when you get down, you need to file one of these reports. Your bell has been rung. Yes. <laughs> okay. As Mike Tyson might say, you've been, <laughs> you've been punched in the nose. Now what are you going to do? <laughs> You're going to react. Thank you. <laughs> so um, if you hear that, and I think that one of the next questions we had was, why would you do this uh, in the first place? And I think you don't have to wait for ATC to call you. If you think you did something wrong, even if you think you did something wrong, it's a good idea to, to fill one of these out. Absolutely, because ATC may never uh, call you. And or the FAA may not make an inquiry of, of you for years. I dealt with one uh, pilot deviation situation uh, in the past few years that was uh, over five years old. You see, and the, the rule is that the time for sending you a notice of proposed certificate action starts when the FAA learns of the potential violation. But the timing... For a NASA report, okay, starts from, when did we say? Ten days from the date of the incident or when you are notified, became aware of or should have become aware of the violation. So we can have competing start dates, one before or one after, one of the others. So it's incumbent upon you if you think you violated. And I tell people, just trust that stomach feeling. I trust your gut. Trust your gut and just file it online. It's very easy to file online or NASA puts out these letters, uh, pre, pre, pre-addressed letters, and you can send it in. Okay, so filing it online, what's the website? The website here is uh, Aviation Safety Reporting System, and it's maintained by NASA. And at the top you'll see, uh, if you just Google that, Aviation Safety Reporting System, You'll see at the top um, several uh, blocks, um, drop-down menus, program information, and second from the left, report to aviation safety reporting system. That's it. You click on that, you fill out the form, you hit submit, and importantly, NASA. This information goes to NASA, not to the FAA. It always amazes me. That I have, when I talk about this, people come up to me after the talks or lectures and presentations and say, you mean 
uh, no one sees this at the FAA? And I said, exactly. That's what federal law uh, provides for. No one at the FAA sees this. The only people that see it are at NASA. And before they release it into accident reports or deviation reports that you and I read in flight magazines and the like, it's, it's all scrubbed. Sanitized. It's all scrubbed and sanitized. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's very so, interesting. So we have a copy of the form here. So just an idea to our listeners. Again, it's very easy to find. I found this in five minutes online. They want information from you. So they want your name and your email and your contact information. But again, that's all sanitized. This isn't something that's going into record. They want to know who you are, um, what your level is of aviation experience, your flying time, your certificates, your ATC experience, which I thought was interesting. So they want to know how many years you've been operating in radar or non-radar environments. Yes. And this is all designed. First of all, they want to know who you are so that they might need to call you back. NASA, not the FAA. Certainly. NASA can call you back and say, what did you mean? This looks like an important one. We might want to do training on this. What, what, What really happened here and the like? Sure. Okay. That after you submit, though, it's it's uh, washed and scrubbed. And then you know what airspace you were operating in when the deviation occurred, the conditions, light visibility, were you in contact with ATC? It's very interesting. You know, they want that information. They want to know what happened so that they can keep you safe. I think the hardest part, hardest part for pilots in the NASA form, whether it's online or in paper, are at two intersections on the form. One block of information requires you to say what type or event or situation is it. And that can be simply be uh, landed on closed runway. On page two of the form, both electronic and paper, however, they ask, describe event and situation. And I see pilots writing Encyclopedia Britannica's here. They want to go on and on and on. I woke up this morning. I had orange juice for <laughs> breakfast. I took two aspirin. I really wasn't feeling well. I went to the airport. I stubbed my toe. My wife was mad at me. On and on and on. No, 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 no. This is can be a, a minimalist kind of approach here, succinct and to the point. And that's where I think you benefit from involving an aviation lawyer who does FAA enforcement work by contacting them and figuring out what should I be reporting and how should I be reporting it for maximal uh, effect. You're not bearing your soul here. You know what to say and what not to say. Correct. Okay. It's not. Really, it's all immunized, you see. You, it's not, it can't be used against you except in limited circumstances that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. Uh, but that's why you should be involving an FAA and enforcement lawyer so you know the exceptions for for example in an accident the information can be used okay uh if it's uh an inf- a situation involving your competency or lack of qualifications okay and then finally um criminal i can't you see import drugs and run off the end of the runway and then say <laughs> hey i, I have immunity i, I have I immunity followed it yeah. I can't have an accident involving substantial damage to the aircraft and inj- or injure people, you see, the other linchpin for the exception to uh, having immunity and then um, not have a deep pilot deviation or enforcement action against me. The, the FAA still may not go against you. It's just not going to 
this form, the NASA form, will not inoculate you if you have an accident, you see. Accident, criminal, um, are two of the biggest uh, exceptions. exceptions. And that's where you want to be careful by what you say there because if you got in litigation, okay, uh, let's say, use let's use a difficult example, okay, and that's the Kobe Bryant ca- mm-hmm. uh, crash. Let's say everybody was killed but the pilot survived, and he filed a NASA report, okay? And just because he timely filed a NASA report, uh, the law says in an accident involving substantial damage to the aircraft, mm-hmm. it doesn't work to inoculate the but- pilot from an enforcement action and it can be used. What you wrote in your report, description, narrative, description, and the like, could be used against you. But okay. I want to—I don't want to scare people away from doing this. So an accident situation is different, and obviously illegal activity is different. If it's not an accident, if there's not substantial damage to the aircraft, again, yep. I, I would file this, you know, point blank without any questions. I but, have I have filed them the before online for. Um, a 10-second penetration of the Bravo shelf out of Tampa Peter oh, Going right in, into here, uh, going under the shelf, yeah. So completely <laughs> agree. Because I'm always a couple hundred feet under. I'm always like, I, I don't want any question. I'm going to be at least 300 feet under what it, it should be or what I should be looking at. So we're going to publish the link to file the NASA form on uh, the link for the show. We're going to put it in the show notes. We'll put a link to filing this. We'll also have this on the New Seaplane Pilots Association website, the newseaplanes.org website. We'll put some information on filing NASA forms and also have a link on directly to the form. So I, I hope you'll have a link as well, Steve, to uh, the advisory circular that we've been talking about. We will. Which is, that was uh, going to be the 40, next thing. 46E, because that really is the best and most succinct statement of the rules and regs here. Yeah, we'll absolutely have a link to that. That was the first note I took. And also, but, you know, we talk about engaging an aviation lawyer on this, and um We've talked about this a little bit, and we're not getting any compensation or this isn't done for any other reasons other than the fact that we do. I know you and I believe and Abby believes this is a really good tool for pilots in the AOPA legal program. Uh, Address that because for the money to you can reach out to a lawyer to get advisement on something like this absolutely free as a member of the program. Yes. uh, Now, you need to be specific. You have to be a member of the. AOPA, which you should be, okay, Aircraft Owners <laughs> and Pilots Association, and number two, you have to be a member of the legal services plan that AOPA runs and operates, and at you have to make a choice: Am I going to be at a um, premium member standard or, level or yeah. a, what's called a plus level, where mm-hmm. you get either a lawyer at no charge to you for ten hours or up to twenty hours a year if you're at the plus level. The only thing that are that you uh, you might incur are costs for postage and faxes, even if if the lawyer even wants to you know uh, bill you for those. So this is a great system, okay, and it provides a much needed benefit to the pilot who hasn't probably had a pilot deviation before, is looking for guidance, someone to hold their hand, someone to counsel them through this, and. 
for me, what I've seen over 20 years is that most people are really upset with themselves and they're fearful that they're jeopardizing their medical or their pilot license that they've worked so hard to get. And so their emotions have been hijacked by the, the incident, the deviation. They really can't think straight. The only one that can think straight is someone who's not involved in that yeah. incident. It's unfortunately not your husband. It's not your wife. It's not your best friend. It's not your doctor. It's somebody who's done this and knows what been through the process with the knowledge and can look at the situation and has the wisdom yeah and says hey have you filed a nasa report here's what i get most of the time what is that and that's why this podcast is so important because of that exact response what is that you and i have talked on numerous occasions about seaplane pilots that have been stopped on the water and had infractions and things like that. And we've talked literally about them participating in this AOPA legal services program and how beneficial it's been. So we're in no way getting compensated by AOPA. Even, you know, I, I, I'm the biggest fan in the world of AOPA, obviously, and everything they do for our community. But this is a very valuable tool that they provide that I think every pilot, again, it's under known. It, it, people just don't have a public awareness of it, and it's underutilized. Yes, and also that the AOPA benefit uh, has some benefit and extends to, for example, seaplane pilots on the water flying into or out of closed waters and are now subject to a state or local enforcement action like a ticket or a trespass warning and the like for for seaplane operations. So there's even some coverage, even when the FAA is not involved. Mm -hmm. And there's a two-hour benefit as well for buying and selling an aircraft. There you go. And finally, sorry, but it just works. (laughs) I'm a member. There you go. I practice aviation law for 21 years. I'm a member and pay every year because, you know what, at some point in time it's going to be my turn. And you can't represent yourself. Exactly. So here's the final thing. You get to pick up the phone and have a 30-minute consultation with a AOPA panel lawyer at any time on any topic. Yeah, that's just invaluable. When can you do that? Yeah, for $179 or whatever the PLUS program is, uh, whatever the program costs, it's far less than an hour of legal time, I can assure most of our listeners, uh, because the lawyers that we engage are, are, you know, quite honestly, quite a bit more than that. It's just being proactive. You know, it's taking the initiative of saying, I don't need you right now. I'm a great pilot. But, you know, it happens. Hey, you have health insurance, don't you? You have health yeah. insurance. You have Absolutely. car insurance, don't you? You have Absolutely. aviation insurance. You have renter's insurance. Mm-hmm. You, so it's just a wise wise investment you hope you don't have to use it in a way that you know comes as a result of an accident or some deviation but gosh we're glad that you're there we're glad that you lawyers are there so i think the big takeaway out of this very special episode of the water flying podcast is that i really don't think pilots should be fearful of filing a nasa form they should get educated on it And that if there is a situation where there was significant damage to an aircraft or an accident situation, then you may want to start that process by reaching out to legal counsel. It's a must because, honestly, half of the accidents that I deal with right after the crash, within the few days of the crash, 
when you analyze the definition under the NTSB rules, you can have a bent propeller. The gear can have collapsed on you. You can have all sorts of damage to the aircraft, but it doesn't meet the definition you see of of, um, an accident under the NTSB rule. Why is that important? Because the NASA form, if there's not an accident, will serve to inoculate you from an enforcement action. The only thing here that we need to mention that's a big umbrella overlay over all of this is what we talked about a little bit ago, and that is the FAA started using this compliant uh, compliance action program um, back in the fall of 2015. And so the enforcement actions across the nation have just dropped terribly uh, for aviation lawyers, but uniquely and wonderfully they've dropped for pilots and instead in lieu of a formal enforcement action where they want to suspend or revoke your pilot certificate what's happened is the remedial training agreement has it just grown exponentially because now everybody's getting into this alternate disposition for a pilot deviation no more suspensions, no more revocation, unless you're Billy Bad Boy, okay, <laughs> and you've done an intentional violation. Mm-hmm. And so instead, we push you into the remedial training agreement where you get education and training and maybe a course or two online or what have you, and you fix the root cause. And it's kind of like my analogy I tell people about is the police officer, the Florida Highway Patrol, gives you a warning instead of a ticket that you have to pay and and, uh, and the like. So that's where we are now with the FAA and the remedial training agreements that are now so dominant. Mm-hmm. Well, Ed, I would really like to thank you, number one, for your uh, active membership in the association because it's been wonderful talking to you over all the years of having you as a member and and having you here relatively local in Florida. Uh, I really look forward, Abby and I have been chomping at the bit to get you not only on this episode, but on future episodes. Uh, So I hope that we can bring more legal advice through your incredible wisdom and exposure to this side of uh, aviation and seaplane flying to our listeners. And um, thank you. Thank you for coming in and spending some time with us today. Happy to be here and happy to come back. And I'm delighted to help. seaplane pilots fly better and more safely okay well until next time i hope you've enjoyed and maybe learned something from this incredibly uh, important uh, episode of water flying and we'll look forward to talking to you next time blue skies and calm waters my friends we are so glad you joined us today if you like today's show I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. 
The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.